on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Tiger and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. OU's got a new wide receivers coach and are adding more guys through the portal. We recap Georgia's annihilation of TCU, and we give you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, January 11th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of January, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Ted, some people, some people ask us like, oh, what are y'all going to have to talk about once the season ends? It won't it stop, man. It won't stop. <laughs> the season doesn't end. It's an endless content stream coming from uh, college football these days, which is good. They've, they've got their calendar way better than it used to be. It yeah. used to be the season's over and it goes dark for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Well, the biggest piece of news for OU football this week is that they have hired a new wide receivers coach. Uh, they poached him at Jones from Texas Tech. He will be the wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator here at the University of Oklahoma. And when you look at his background, coming from Tech, right, where he was the pass game coordinator and wide receivers coach. Before that, he was the wide receivers coach at KU, and some people may remember he actually took over as the interim head coach before they hired Lance Leipold there in Lawrence. Uh, before that, he was with Tech, again, with Cliff Kingsbury, and before that, he was the head coach at South Oak Cliff High School in Dallas, and before that, he had a bunch of other coaching jobs at the at the high school level in the DFW area. And Ted, I'm assuming that that experience in the DFW era uh, area was a big driver to why he was hired here at Oklahoma. Yeah. You got to imagine, um, you know, I, it, it's a hire that I'm not going to say caught me off guard. I just, I don't know. Um, it wasn't a name that was, you know, someone that I was thinking of or, or thought was a target that they were going after until way later. But 
Yeah, I, I think I think recruiting is always critical. And, you know, if the way I look at it is Joey McGuire kept him on um, and had him coach the wide receivers. And uh, if, if Joey McGuire, as good as he is recruiting the state of Texas, if he signs off on you uh, as a recruiter to, to, to be there, then I think that tells me quite a bit. Um, yeah, those – those recruiting connections in Texas high school, I mean, that seems to be kind of the growing trend, doesn't it? Is hiring ex high school Texas football coaches on your staff. I mean, obviously that uh, McGuire's done that at Tech. Um, Matt Rule kind of started that with uh, hiring the Joey McGuire there at Baylor, and I think it's kind of starting to catch on a little bit. Yeah, and it, it makes a lot of sense. Anyone that knows anything about that Texas high school football's association like for lack of a better term let, let's call it a club i'm not going to call it a cult i'm going to call it a club but it, it it's tight-knit and it's meaningful man it is really really meaningful in that state so it's like a the, casting agency for college football players exactly it, it is and i i think that's why when you look at the statements that brent venables had in the official release like the thing that really stood out to me, and he said all kinds of great things about Emmett Jones's ability to coach, his ability to build relationships, like his his passion for winning, like all that stuff. But the quote that stood out to me was, "He's a coaching giant in Texas high school football." I, I don't think there's any doubt that Emmett Jones can coach, but this feels like it's all about Cruton, mm-hmm. and and we've talked a lot about the need for Oklahoma to upgrade the talent on the roster. And if Emmett Jones can coach wide receivers at a high level, which I expect him to be able to do, but if he can be your ace recruiter there in the state of Texas, that's worth its weight in gold, man. And let's be real. I, and I think LaDamian Washington did a really good job, and he was an absolute pleasure to work with we had him on coach's corner multiple times i hope bv is able to keep him i I think he's going to be a great coach down the line i really do but you lost kale gundy who was your ace recruiter right in that whole unfortunate situation and now i i assume you're anticipating emmett jones to step in and kind of fill that void of being like the go-to guy there in the state of texas so with those relationships you're really hoping that ends up being fruitful in the DFW area when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, it needs to be. And you're right. You know, Gail Gundy, the amount of names that you can attach to him uh, of players that ended up coming to Oklahoma, whether it was whenever he was recruiting a running back, recruiting a wide receiver, um, you know, one of the best, like since he started at recruiting. And, you know, also, a great talent developer, just a great all-around coach. Um, you know, passing game, protection schemes, really well versed with all that he's done there. So it really was a big hole to fill. So this is a big time hire, and we'll see. I, you know, I you, it, things are cyclical, and and at times you, you know, for a long time I felt like you know we may worry about a lot of things at Oklahoma. But receiver is not ever going to be one of them. 
And then we kind of find ourselves in a spot right now where it's like, we don't have very much returning production coming back. We got a lot of potential, right? There's a lot of potential there, but, you know, something's got to happen. So, you know, he's he's stepping into, like, a lot of coaches would kill to be able to step into the room that he's got, right, talent-wise. But there's going to be some pressure there for those guys to perform. And there's going to be some pressure on Emma Jones to develop those guys. Mm-hmm. But, like, he needs to be the guy that takes Jalil Farouk to another level. He needs to be the guy that helps Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like push them to figure it out. And whatever. And I, I've not met Emmett Jones. Uh, you know, talked to some people there at Tech yesterday. They had nothing but incredible things to say about him, other than they were upset he was leaving. But I'm interested to see, you know, when we're able to get out there for a couple spring practices, like what his style is, what his approach is. There, there's no perfect style of coaching, but he's going to have to do whatever he's going to have to do to get the most out of that group. Because you're right, the production, there's just not a lot coming back. But the talent, there's the, there's no doubt. They've got size, they've got speed, they've got talent, right? But it's going to be on him to get the most out of that group. And I don't know if LaDamian Washington was getting the most out of that guy. Like that's up for LaDamian Washington and those players to know. Right. But all I know is the, the guy that had double the yards of everyone else in that room is is moving on to Marvin Mims. So somebody, and it's gotta be multiple people have to fill that void, have to replace that production and, Clearly, a lot of that depends on Dylan Gabriel and the way he plays at quarterback and how the offensive line protects it, all that stuff, how you run the football, all of it's connected. But it also is going to be really dependent on how Emmett Jones develops that room. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, you're right. It, everything is always connected in football. Um, the way you run the ball, the way you the block, the way you protect, accuracy from quarterback, vision at quarterback, throwing the ball to the right place. But – you know, sometimes it just comes down to flat out, can you win your one-on-one battles? Uh, you know, especially when it comes to some man-to-man stuff like we saw down the stretch of the season. And, like, that's what we've got to have. we got to have guys that can go out and win their one-on-ones. And we'll see. Uh, again, talent is all there. Uh, measurables are there. They're even even supplementing some talent to come in and help maybe to push some guys a little bit, maybe some more's more uh coming as well. So it it's it's always super competitive at wide receiver, no matter where you are to get on the field. And I right now, I you gotta feel pretty strong about Jalil Farouk coming back to being one of the the top, maybe the guy, but I think it's totally up into the air. I I don't know if you had to pick who the top three leading receivers were next year. It'd be difficult to do it. Now you could probably come up with some names where you hoped it was these three. And if it's those three things probably look pretty good, but right now I don't know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Yeah, it's like, hey, is Stogner going to be a 600, 700 yard guy? Perhaps. Right. Willis was what, j- short of 600 yeah. this season? And he was the second leading receiver on the team. Leading and led in touchdowns, right? Yeah. Seven. And, and Lebby, Lebby majors in 11 personnel. So, Who's going to fill that void with Braden Willis moving on? I know that's not the wide receiver room, but we're talking the pass game in general, like in, in its totality. So there are question marks. And Emmett Jones is going to have to hit the ground running and address all of that and get some guys to the level they need to be at yeah. before well, the season rolls around. And it's it's not easy. No, it's not. The other thing is, you know, I'll be interested – to see uh, what impact he has on the passing game, you know, because he's also labeled as passing game coordinator. But, you know, we all know that sometimes these are just, it's a label for, a, you know, to get you another bump in pay, right? right? If, you know, we can bring in as a receiver coach, well, that's not enough money. Well, let's see if we make you the pass game coordinator. We give you a bump here. Like Sometimes that's how it works. It's like being executive VP at, you know, a company, right? They just slap something on the old tag. But I, if he is going to have an influence on the passing game, and that is one of the reasons they brought him is, you know, maybe there's some, some things that they liked about the tech passing game, which really caught some fire late in the season. And maybe they're wanting, wanting to implement some of those traits. I don't know. That's something to watch as well. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting when you looked at, the statement that Emmett Jones had in the official release, it was, yeah, he wants to win championships. He knows what the OU brand's all about. I get that. But the thing that stood out to me was what he said about working with Levy. And that made me wonder, right, with how how connected Levy is in the t- Texas high school football scene. I, I wonder if there's a re- there was a relationship there and – you know, Levy was one of the guys that was really vouching for Jones. I don't know, but I, I thought it was interesting that he called out Levy in general. as like, hey, I really like what he's doing. I'm interested to learn more. And it, it's always valuable to combine concepts like and, yep. and to get some new, fresh ideas when it comes to the passing game. And, hey, maybe Emmett Jones, he can say, hey, guys, I've got some good stuff in the intermediate passing game. I think we can add it. I think we can add some mid-level throws. And that is something that you and I, we we talked quite a bit about throughout yep. the season. So we'll we'll see. But just the reaction of some of the tech people I know, and some of them are coaches on that staff, that were like, hey, you're getting a good one. Uh, just from the statements that BV put out, like it it seems like this is a this is a really good hire. I'm I'm hopeful. They can hold on to LaDamian Washington and, you know, BV in that statement, he said, Hey, we're fighting like heck to keep him, which, you know, when BV says something, he, he's a very persuasive man. So we'll see if they're able to hold on to him. I think that would be big because the players love him. Yeah, And you, you've seen it on social media. All these guys throughout the season, when I talked to him about LaDamian Washington, were just extremely complimentary about his approach, uh, not only as a coach, but kind of as, you know, someone that can bounce stuff other than football off of, which I think is important, but we'll see. But 
seems like we should be pretty excited about how this whole thing unfolded. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited, and you know, you could take them for what they're worth, but there's all I guess it's the social media thing, right? But I guess there's also been some rumors floated out there that, um, you know, perhaps some other players may uh, may try and follow him and jump into the portal. But I guess you never know how some of that stuff is going to unfold. Um, we'll see. But the wide receiver room is going to be that's that's one of the the spots of focus throughout spring and i know like as we dial it in we'll hit every single position group and probably every every player but uh whenever you look step back and look at the whole thing as a whole right now that's that's one of the spots where where we're kind of anxious to see who emerges no doubt all right let's move on to some of the other roster stuff this one i I don't know if I was surprised. I was a little confused. David Aguebu has entered the transfer portal. And I'll tell you straight up, I don't think this is a good thing for the roster. Now, do you have guys that are more talented, right? They can run faster. Uh, they can maybe diagnose a little quicker. I Probably, right? But just being around the team this season, it was clear. David Aguebu was the leader on that defense. And it is vocal and you know emotional that as Stutzman is, like every time I talk to coaches and players, like they always brought up Aguebu. So good leader on and off the field. I was told, you know, throughout spring, throughout summer workouts, throughout training camp, like he was the guy that was setting the standard, setting the tone for the defense. Teammates respect the hell out of him. Guy was voted a captain. I mean, you want to have as many of those types of guys on your team as possible. So I saw this. I mean, what's going on, Ted? Because it, it seems like David Aguebu, if he's going to play another college season, we'd want him to be playing at the University of Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think so. And, you know, I know that he was – um he really got a lot from the last season. He was happy to, to be a part of it. And it's not like I, I, this is not a bad blood type of transfer portal thing. I don't think it's that at all. Um, you know, I, I, I think that every now and then just a change of pace can be good. Um, can be good for, for uh, he can start at a bunch of places, but here's the thing. I, I don't know necessarily that he would have started at Oklahoma next season, you know? And if you're a guy that has played a bunch of football, you've started a bunch of football, you, you're six foot five, Mike Backer coming from Oklahoma, you're probably going to have some really good options out there in the transfer portal. So um, I'm excited for him. I think he's, he's definitely going to land on his feet and, and have some success somewhere, but, I think you're right whenever you talk about the leadership aspect. I, I always watch the backers to see who, like, who's the guy in that group, and there's no doubt that he was the guy. He ran the drills. He he was the voice. He's the one that everyone followed. So, you know, you lose those those guys from time to time, and, and it leaves a void for someone else to step into. Maybe that's Stutzman. Maybe that's, you know, one of the younger guys. I don't know. We'll just have to see how it plays out, but – 
that leadership quality is going to be missed. I do think that we will be better at Mike Backer than we were this year. But I'll say this. I think that would have been the case also if Aguebu stayed. I think that uh, he obviously would have improved another year under his belt, second year in a defense, um, would have helped him out a lot. But he's some of his qualities, for sure, somebody's going to have to step up and take hold of those. Who do you – and you mentioned that we – and it's crazy, spring ball is only a couple months away – We'll we'll get into some discussions about that position group, but who, who do you think fills that position, right? And Mike Becker, like, do you think he kicks Stutzman from Will to Mike, or what? What do you think that looks like? I I think that you'll most. I, it makes me feel like Deshaun McCall is probably going to play some Mike Becker. Um, you know the way they play Mike. The, the mic is actually bumped out of the box more than the will backer is. Um, you know, so a lot of times you'll have the mic is always the, the guy that's displaced over the number three receiver. So um, you can have McCullough out there. He's got great length in the passing game. Um, a lot of stuff they do, like whenever they, they get into that bare front in 11 personnel, the mic backer is up on the edge and could be the edge rusher. So I think that plays right in for Deshaun McCullough. I, I don't know. I haven't had the conversation. And I don't know that the coaches know where they're going to play him. But I, I, with Aguebu hitting the transfer portal, it tells me there's a pretty strong chance that we may see Deshaun McCullough playing some Mike Backer at least, you know, at, at some point in some packages. But That's interesting. I think it's going to be an open competition. I think there's... Um, you know, th- there was it, it seems like there was a lot of ground made up by the younger guys over the last you know month month and a half of the season. Uh, Kobe McKenzie's name started to pop up as a guy that's that's made a lot of headway. Obviously, Canick, we all know about him. Uh, Kip Lewis as well, and they're bringing in some dudes now. Some guys that are you know it's going to take them a little while to acclimate, but there's some guys that are going to push that position. And we should get Shane Witter back uh, at some point who had to miss the season because of a shoulder. So I think that room is going to be competitive. And I think there's a, a really strong chance that we're quite a bit better across the board at backer. All right. I'll take your word for it. I just didn't like seeing it. Right. You yeah. No, I know. I, lose I was... one of your, one of your captains uh, to the portal. That's, that's typically not what you want. All right. Other portal stuff. Michigan transfer wide receiver Andrell Anthony has committed to Oklahoma, chose OU over Miami, A&M, Penn State, and Notre Dame. This is a guy that has not been a productive player at Michigan, but when you look at the size, 6'2", 190, that checks the box you want it to check. And then his highlights, like you see the glimpses. He's got some wheels now he's got some juice but the thing about it is like okay and i know that michigan's quarterback situation has not been elite over the last couple seasons i understand that but when you see some of those highlights you see him catch what was it the drag against michigan state and just take it to the house yeah you're like why is that guy not more like why does he not have more production that's 
it kind of sets that alarm bell off, but clearly you can see the size, the talent. Now it's up to Jeff Levy and Emmett Jones to get the most out of this guy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is their evaluation obviously was the same as a lot of other people's because it's not like you were beating Wyoming and Idaho out to get him in like the, the list of schools that were making offers and, and trying to get him to come play for him is, is pretty good. It's who, it's the company you really, you really want to be in. Um, I think he's had maybe some injury issues, uh, which kind of led to the lack of production and, you know, obviously their offense is a little bit different, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's questions there, right? How can you be, how can you have that size and that type of explosiveness and top end speed and and not have more production where you're at? Um, we'll see. Hopefully there's no problem areas and he can come in and compete right away. I know this right now. We don't have a lot of six foot two burners on the roster right now. So uh, he's going to have some opportunity. Yeah. It, it never hurts to add six, two guys that can run a wide receiver. Nope. Now we'll see how quickly he can digest Levy's offense. You know, we'll see how quickly he can develop chemistry with Dylan Gabriel, but it's the way I see it. I'd rather have him than not. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's you're adding talent to the room. Right. And we'll see. I, I don't know. I've, I've got a good feeling about it. I just, the burst, the explosiveness, I, it's been a while since we've seen a guy separate like what I saw in that Michigan State clip. You know, it's like, yeah. if we get that guy, then I feel really good about it. It's like, I, I saw that clip and I remember that play even, but it was one of those where I was like, okay, why does this guy not like a 700, 800 yard receiver for Michigan? You know, and I know they yeah. lean on the run game. I get it. And I know that JJ McCarthy, maybe not the most polished passer, but when you got talent like that, I don't know. It made, it made me skeptical when I watched some of those clips of him just having, you know, fantastic individual efforts. And then I looked at his stats. I was like, this doesn't add up here. You know, you know what I mean? It made me, it made me wonder what the heck, what the heck was going on there. Yeah. I I guess it's all worth it. If you get like a handful of those plays, right? You know, it's, yeah. hey, you give us a, a couple of those in the right moment, then then it's all worth it. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. it. That Michigan State, if if you guys haven't seen it, it looks like whenever they hand the baton to the fourth leg and there's someone that is, like, clearly faster than everyone and he comes from out of the pack and just is gone. It's impressive. Yeah, so – We'll see what he ends up being for the Sooners, but appears to be a very talented player. Okay, other portal additions. Wake Forest transfer defensive lineman Rondell Bothroyd? Yeah. Bothroyd? Yeah. That's what we're going with. Has committed to Oklahoma. He's one of the top edge guys in the portal. Uh, has good size, 6'4", 260 pounds. You, you look at his career stats, 16 and a half sacks four force fumbles, bunch of TFLs. But I think there are two things that are really exciting about him. Number one, he is old as shit. It's his sixth year of college football. 
we, we've talked about being mature and old, just having that grown man strength at the line of scrimmage. I, I mean, this dude's old. That's that's good. And then the second second exciting thing, looking at all the pictures, all the clips at Wake Forest from this season for him, guy had a C on his chest. Captain at Wake Forest and old. And, and this has become a theme for Brent Venables and this staff with these portal additions. Like they want guys that were captains at their previous school. And it seems like adding a veteran guy that has been in a leadership role, has played a ton of football. Like it's a very positive thing for that edge room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. He's, he's got some good size to him and he's going to be stepping in and by far the most productive defensive line player that we've got. I mean, there's no one that comes even anywhere close to those type of numbers that he's, that he's bringing in. Um, so I, I, I'm excited about it. Like there's some, there's starting to be some good depth on the edge with, uh, Bothroyd with Trace Ford coming in. Uh, our Mason Thomas is, is going to be a big player at that, that spot. Um, you know, obviously the guys that we had from the, a year ago with Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs. And I think you, you even got to factor in the, the true freshman coming in. He's starting to appear to be like one of those guys that you're going to say, okay, yeah, he's going to play some as a true freshman for sure. So the edge looks like we're sure enough that, that position quite a bit. We, cause Flat out, we talked about this. We've got to get better on the edges. Got to. In both the pass game and the run game. Have to improve, and that's why you assume they bring Bothroyd, Bothroyd. We'll find out soon enough how to say it. Uh, that you got to assume that's why they bring him in to add some experience and some production to that edge room. And this is something I thought uh, I thought about. Like, clearly, Venables and Chavis – both saw this guy play in the ACC, right? Mm-hmm. So they've had eyes on him. They the Their offensive staff there at Clemson undoubtedly scouted this guy. Maybe in that team meeting, they were like, hey, we really like this kid. And Venables remembered that once he was in the port. was like, hey, this is a guy that we, we want to add to our football team. So, you know, going back to those Clemson days for, for Chavis and Venables, I, I assume that that's one of the things that, kind of sparked them wanting to bring Bothroyd, Bothroyd. I really need to learn how to say that. <laughs> I haven't heard anyone else say it yet. So that's why I don't know. I'll just keep saying both, even though it's, I'm both. sure it's very annoying. Both, both Royd. Okay. Bothroyd. I feel like Bothroyd sounds better. Sounds more likely. Bothroyd. Yeah. I don't know. All I care about is that he's good at football. We'll learn and, his name soon enough. And he is. He is. The but, edges are looking better. Yeah, another portal addition. Texas State defensive lineman Devon Sears has committed to OU's. Got a couple years of eligibility left. Chose Oklahoma over Tennessee and Penn State, uh, according to the stuff he's put out on Twitter. Look at the size listed at 6'2", 290. But another one of these guys where... I don't know what I'm supposed to think. Like if he's choosing between Penn state and Tennessee and OU's winning the recruiting battle over those two schools, hell yeah, let's go. 
but very little production. So I'm a little like, I, how am I supposed to feel Ted? What am I supposed to think about this? Cause I, I don't know. Like the fan base seems excited. You get a recruiting win over those two programs. You should be excited, but guy hasn't really done anything. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a numbers game and right now it is, it is very difficult in the portal defensive line market. Uh, Anytime you've got a defensive lineman that people feel feel, you know, pretty strongly about, it, everyone is coming out of the woodwork. So there's such a need at defensive line. It's hard to know like how good actually do they think he is, or are they just trying to you know supplement the roster. As of right now, I think Sears is someone that you have to consider probably going to be a rotational type of defensive lineman for him, which you have to have, right? Um, you know, perhaps he comes and, you know, things click and the scheme fits him really well and has some good development, strength and conditioning and through the offseason and ends up turning into a, a starter for you and, a, and perhaps a star. I would, I think the expectation right now is, probably safe thinking of him as um you know a guy that's going to play he's going to be a ro- rotational player but at this point it may be uh, a strong statement to say he's going to be a starter or you know an all-conference type of player I don't think that's the case I've got as no right idea now. I've got no idea what he's going to be but I, this is what I'll say like if you are winning recruiting battles against those types of teams, then you got to feel good about it. You, yeah. you, and you got to, you got to put your trust in Todd Bates and Brent Venables to develop this guy. Clearly there's something about the physical tools that he has that got a lot of people excited Ted, I have acquired the 2019 wake forest media guide with pronunciation guide. Look at you. Rondell. Bothroyd. Bothroyd. Yes. Bothroyd. We got it. We're 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 locked in. No more guessing. B A H T H Roid. Bothroyd, right? That's Bothroyd. what we're rolling with. Yeah. Good. Okay. Look, look at look at us. But yeah. what a name. That's a that's a good football name. It's a strong Rondell name. Bothroyd. Bothroyd. Oh, T Rose gonna have some fun with that one, undoubtedly. But yeah, Dia, the defensive line has certainly been addressed via the portal. Sears, Bothroyd, Trace Ford, Jacob Lacey. Uh, you mentioned P.J. Atabare. We'll see if Derek LeBlanc is a factor at all. But a lot of new faces along that defensive front. Yeah. And with, with Bothroyd, that's going to be a guy that plays a lot of football. Starter, we'll see. Trace Ford. If healthy, that's going to be a guy that plays a lot of football. Starter, we'll see. Jacob Lacey, Sears, a couple of rotational guys to to go with a guy like Coe, who I think is really starting to come into his own, and is he's going to have his best year, and he, I bet he has a big year next year. And like you mentioned, Adabare, we'll see. Our Mason Thomas should, should make some nice strides throughout this offseason. We should be – we should be – Stronger at the defensive line and edge position next season. Yep. All right. Experience. That's good. We added a lot of experience. 
Added experience, guys that have played a lot of football, which is always a good thing. Okay, we're going to do call your shot uh, in the college football roundup. So let's get to birthday shout outs. Happy first birthday to Everly Joe Holsey. Happy fifth birthday to Sophia Noakes. Happy 30th birthday to Natalie Goyne. Happy 42nd birthday to Dr. Timothy Noakes. Happy 43rd birthday to David Blaze. Happy 43rd birthday to Carla Nina Whitaker. Happy 43rd birthday to Coach Josh Noakes. The whole Noakes family. Happy 54th birthday to Matt Thompson. Happy 72nd birthday to Vicki Richeson. And happy birthday to Nick Sheever. Let's. Shiver? Shiver? Nick Shiver. I'm going Shiver. Yeah. Let's recap whatever that was on Monday night. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamare. The coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone, so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, Go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. Uh, one thing about the Opolis stuff. Uh, they want to do some more Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. Yes, Please tweet us and let us know what you guys want. So tweet, you can tweet at me, you can tweet at Ted, you can tweet at the podcast account at OK underscore breakdown. Let us know what kind of merch you would like, and that way we can we can let the people at Opolis know. Awesome. Run number two. Let's go. Let's do it, baby. All right. National College Football Roundup. Whoa. 65 to 7. My goodness. What an epic ass whooping. Uh, the biggest margin of victory in a title game. Uh, the biggest margin of victory in any bowl game ever. Ted, it was over so quickly. So quickly. It was brutal. Very quickly. It started really bad for TCU. They had that false start, I think, to start the game off. And it just never got better from that moment on. They did hit on the one deep play and end up getting that touchdown drive. And I was like, okay, they're going to be able to do that all game. We're gonna, we, we've are gonna, we got something here. But nope, that was it. Even that play, I was watching the game with my wife and she was like, oh, that's good. Like, And I was like, it's literally just a busted coverage. Like the only reason, and and the thing that stood out to that about that play to me, 
Duggan underthrew Davis by like 15 yards. I know it. Yep. I mean, and that was the thing for me is, man, I felt for Max Duggan. He'd had such an incredible season. He played his worst game of the year in the national championship game. And of course, Georgia's defense had a lot to do with that. But even the first drive of the game, like there's two throws to be made on that first drive of the game. Just misses. And he just, he looked off. He looked rattled. He didn't play well. And they needed him to be special. And he was bad. Yeah. Uh, he, he was bad. And it, it broke my heart for the kid because I think you and I, we love the way he plays. I love how physically he plays the quarterback position. But man, that was uh that was not good, not a good performance by the Heisman runner up. Not good at all. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you mentioned like he underthrew on that deep ball. He missed Quentin Johnson, had him on a on a on a deep post and terrible throw. Uh gets intercepted. What should have been a massive play in TCU's favor is just a, a horrible throw and an easy interception. And uh it, it was just it was bad. And I think that clearly the timing got to him quickly and you know, a much more difficult time being able to escape and get out of the pocket and, you know, outrun some guys around the edges. I just didn't have the ability to do a lot of the things that he had done to where, you know, he feels like he's got the defense on their heels. Like they never got over the hump. Like they were the ones that were in a panic the the entire football game. Yeah. And I, I think there's that, that entire game can be summed up in one play. In my mind, I mean, you look at, and that was just, I mean, Georgia just kept putting it on them. My God. But I, I think there's one play that defines that game, and it's early, and it's the Darius Davis speed sweep that he ends up fumbling. Gets it on the jet sweep, inexcusably has the ball in his inside arm. But the reason he's got the ball in his inside arm on that, Ted, is he has never in his life been caught. On that play. How many times when we were preparing for the OUTCU game, how many times did we see them run that play on tape and Darius Davis just turns the corner and is running down the sideline? Yep. And so he's got the ball in the inside arm, which everyone that carries the football in the history of football knows you're not supposed to do. And he's running thinking, I'm going to turn this corner. Nope. That Georgia safety comes flying downhill catches him and takes the football from him. And and so I think if you look at that game, like that's the play that defined the difference between TCU and Georgia. I mean, TCU was, or Georgia was faster, stronger. They were more physical and they played with greater attention to detail. Uh, And I, I think, Every one of those points, you can see it in that play. Well, uh, yes, no doubt. And I think this is uh, a somewhat obvious statement, but it's it's worth mentioning anyways. Uh, Georgia probably defensively did less than anyone they played all year. They... They were, it looked like a super traditional defense, except it looked like they were playing with 12 guys because 
everyone was in a really good position at all times, proper leverage, and everyone is so athletic. You don't have to do a lot. If you've got all the guys that are lined up there in the right spot, you can get there with three or four guys up front. You don't have to do a whole lot. They did a couple of of some of the you know pressures where they show the double A gap and have one of the guys pop out. You know that's a Georgia's been doing that. They did that in 2017 whenever we played them in the Rose Bowl. Listen, like that the, was the thing when I was playing in college. Yeah. I loved Fowler was like this trend in college football. I was like trend. Double A gap pressure's been around since like 2009. Yeah, it's well, and it, it, that's what's it was really big in the NFL before that, and you yeah. know some of that stuff started coming over. We did it in Jacksonville. Mel Tucker, you know, was the decent defensive coordinator when I was in Jacksonville, and they he went to Georgia. They were doing that stuff in Georgia. It's but there was some of that, and but that it's that is so easy to run. It's it can be it puts a lot of pressure on a quarterback that's worried about you, right? Uh, whenever he starts to think about the defense and and the people getting to him, you see two backers, you know, tough in the A gaps. The clock is already starting to move faster before he snapped the ball. So they were just disciplined, athletic, tackled well. It, I mean, they just kind of overwhelm you with guys that are really athletic and they're in the right spot. It's tough to beat. They, yeah, they made a big deal of the simulated pressure stuff and kind of the elaborate pressure stuff on the broadcast. But the reason that they could do that is they were dominating on first and second down. Mm-hmm. Just winning at the point of attack, playing physical, disciplined defense, right? With superior athletes. Yep. So that's that's why they could get to all that stuff. And then got to give Stetson Bennett his credit, man. How good was he? I mean, the guy, when the lights are brightest, the guy delivers now. Everything was working for Georgia offensively. I mean, TCU's defense, they they just had no answers. I was really surprised they had so many struggles getting lined up. I mean, they they see tempo all the time in the Big 12, and they couldn't get lined up. And they run the 3-3-5 that is lined up the same exact way every single snap, typically. Yeah, it was that was strange. And Georgia hit some big plays, right? With the sugar huddle, went fast, and TCU they just busted in, in the secondary. So that was that was surprising. That was probably the most surprising thing for in, in the game for me was that TCU's defense struggled with that as much as they did. But Stetson Bennett was awesome. He operated that offense extremely well. Now, everything in the run game was working. Everything in the pass game was working, but he used his legs as a weapon. I'm telling you, man, that dude is faster than people think. Yeah, he, he's, he's got some quickness to him. Reminds me a little bit of uh, Chandler Morris. You know, he's got that similar type of frame. I think Chandler Morris is probably even faster than Stetson Bennett, but he's he's just dangerous enough to where – if you forget about him in the run game, he's going to make some big plays on you. I thought, and a lot of people are like, oh, he's 25 years old and all this stuff. Like, hey, it is what it is. But I thought he made really good decisions in the passing game. I thought he made quick decisions in the passing game. It's, you know, you can make quick decisions when guys are running wide open. Uh, that's That's not overly complicated. But the thing, the one play that stood out to me where I was like, okay, this guy is absolutely dialed in to what the defense is trying to do to him. 
and what they want to do offensively was when D winners came off the slot untouched on that, uh, just, you know, traditional slot pressure and Stetson Bennett knew he was coming, could feel it, baited him, spun out, ran for a first down. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, this kid. I mean, that's like Aaron Rodgers stuff. Yep. Right. Like I was like, this guy is seeing it so clearly and he is he's feeling it and that that was the play where i was like this game was already over but tcu doesn't have a chance with the way that this guy is playing i mean he was he was fantastic well and that's two championship games in a row where he's been fantastic some of the dimes that he threw in the last national championship were really impressive um that's big time that's big time for him and yeah he's 25 but experience matters man the older you can get in college sports you have such a huge advantage over your competition there's really no other sport like it to where i you've got you've essentially got boys against men at at some position matchups you know you're talking about sometimes as young as 18 years old going up against a guy possibly as old as 24, 25 years old. Like that is a world of dis- difference in just like what your body is prepared to do. So experience matters. And that's why, you know, Venables continues to try and get a little bit older, more experience on, on defense and just on the football team in general. Yeah. I, I felt bad for TCU because it it was an amazing season. I mean, that group, Sonny Dykes and those players, they should be extremely proud of the season that they had. I mean, what a fantastic run, but to have it in that way, in that fashion, unfortunately, that's how 2022 is going to be remembered for TCU, right? When you get embarrassed like that, history is what it is. Like, that's how that team's going to be remembered. Unfortunately, they're not going to be remembered for significantly outplaying that Michigan team. Yeah. It's going to be, oh, my God, do you remember what happened to him in the title game? That And that sucks because, man, they were 5-7 and seven a year ago and under a first-year head coach went to the damn national championship game. First Big 12 team to win a CFP game. And I just, you know, I thought they were going to lose, but, man, I just I wish, it, wish it wouldn't have been like that. That was yeah. – that's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal because it brings out all of the the horrible takes. Oh man. Oh, it's just like instantly, well, they shouldn't have been there. Well, it's clear that Ohio State was the second best team and it's it just drive that type of stuff drives me insane. Oh, I whatever. Yeah, they deserve to be there. Um, they whipped an undefeated Michigan team that was really good and had pounded Ohio State in their house. Absolutely deserved to be there. But it wasn't, I mean, at the end of it, and I think I saw you tweet it out, like the championship rings are going to, or the rings for this season are going to look odd for TCU. I I think I think you just have to go with Fiesta Bowl champs. <laughs> right? Right. You, you can't because, what, Big 12 runner-up and national runner-up. Mm-hmm. I mean, what an odd, what a weird 
wave for their seats. They end up losing two out of their last three. And you're like, this is a historically great season for the program. You didn't win your conference. So I think you just got to go Fiesta Bowl champs on there, right? That's what you have to do. Probably good. Probably good to do that. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's, it was not a good result. It's not indicative of what type of football team TCU is. I think Georgia is clearly a better team than, than TCU, but they're not 65 to seven better. Right. Yeah. just, it, it was just a, it snowballed on them. I I think I want to make something very clear. I don't think anyone was beating that version of Georgia on Monday night. Right. Yeah. Not Bama, not Ohio state. I think they win by two or three scores against anybody, but yeah, it shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have been that bad. Like it was, you're, you're right. It snowballed on them. And I saw some people debating this, saw some TCU fans talking about it. It's like, well, I'd rather lose like that than to lose in like a heartbreaking fashion. What? No, you, no, no, no. Give me the heartbreaking loss by a field goal at the end of the game. Give me what happened to Ohio state against Georgia, as opposed to what TCU just went through against Georgia, because no, like people that are saying that are insane. Like I give me the heartbreaking loss that haunts me for the rest of my life. I do not. Don't, don't give me that embarrassment, man. There's no way. I don't know how people can say that. That's ridiculous to say. Well, I think, it's ridiculous for everyone to say, except for say, like the kicker for Ohio State is like, I'd rather lose sixty-five to seven than lose <laughs> in heartbreaking fashion. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Fair point. There's a handful of people to where that's not the case, but generally speaking, yes, I think you were right. And just kind of the last thought on the game, as it pertains to Oklahoma football, as I was sitting and watching Georgia go up and down the field, I was more convinced than ever that OU going to the SEC is the correct decision and that the only way OU is going to have a chance moving forward of winning a title, especially in an expanded college football playoff era, the only way they're going to be able to win a title in in that system is to be in the SEC and compete against that type of talent and to stack recruiting classes and be able to say, hey, we're in the SEC, best conference in all of college football, to use that on the recruiting trail to get bigger, faster, stronger across the board. I mean, just because if you're going to play and you're not playing Georgia every week, I understand that, but the standard at OU is to go and compete for national championships. And, And we all watched the OU-TCU game, right? And there was a gap between OU and TCU, and I know Dylan Gabriel got hurt, but there was a gap. And you saw what TCU looked like against Georgia. So there's a lot of ground to make up, man, and I think the I think the SEC move is, is essential if Oklahoma football wants to wants to truly be on an elite level in the sport. Yep. No, I agree. And they need to, they need to be prepared and they need to strike while the iron's hot whenever they do eventually make that move. Because I I think there's going to be a boost in recruiting that comes with, with going to the sec. 
And I, if, if you can capitalize on that, take advantage of it, I think it could propel Oklahoma to some really nice heights. But if you don't and you struggle, you could really you could fall into a bad spot pretty quickly. There's been really good programs in the SEC that have fallen into tough spots that took them as far as like recruiting cycles, generations to of coaching tenures and recruiting cycles to try and pop out of like Tennessee just now is is getting their head above water. Florida I don't think Florida still hasn't had their their head above water for any consistent amount of time after the Urban Meyer situation. So like it's it's a difficult conference that if you don't if you don't take advantage of some some opportunities you have early, you could just kind of float around in the middle forever. Right. I'm going to throw and, and I would say we are not no one would consider us hot take guys, right? I'm going to throw this out there and see what you think. Mm -hmm. As I watched TCU get destroyed, this thought popped into my head. And you and I, we have talked about how much we love the Big 12 Conference. We've got Big 12 championship rings. Those rings are never going to say SEC champs, ever. Part of me thinks that, especially expanded playoff, OU and Texas move on. I think it's very possible the Big 12 team never wins a national title again. Yeah. Well, it's it's going to be very uh, – it would have changed. I, I think I probably would have said the same thing, but I would have been way more hesitant had TCU not just – like they didn't have to win that game. If it would have been a really tight game that looked like TCU had opportunities to win it and came up short, like even that could have convinced me maybe that TCU could really build on some momentum here and carry this through and see what happens. But I, I tend to agree. You, you, and even if it was to happen, you, it would just have to occur with all of the stars aligning perfectly. Several schools down maybe like a massive upset happens and like the number one team goes down in a 12 team playoff against a, an opponent that they're a huge favorite. Against. Like you would have to have some stuff like that occur, right? Yeah. But then like you look at what the big 12 is going to look like once OU and Texas leave, right? TCU. I think a lot of people believe is positioned to be the dominant force in the conference. A lot of people have talked about Houston, right? But, Think of who those two schools are recruiting against. Guys are, and listen, I love the Big 12, but the best players in the state of Texas, they're not going to choose TCU and Houston over Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Bama, LSU. Like, it's just not going to happen, man. I, I don't think, I don't think UCF all of a sudden is going to start pulling in recruits over Florida and Florida State and Miami, like I just, I don't they, see it. You know what I mean? They like would have I just to chip away. They would have to chip away at that over an extended amount of time with like super super high level consistent football. Like a like out of a eight year span, they make the college football playoff like six out of the eight years. 
Like, yeah, that's how you would ever be able to really start to chip away at any of the like the Florida based recruiting stuff. And and maybe and I know a lot of people think, hey, Joe McGuire, Texas Tech, he's going to get a ton of talent. But. Are a bunch of kids going to choose Lubbock? over Austin and College Station and Norm. Like, I just, you know what I mean? I just don't see with what it's going to take to win a college football playoff in a 12-team playoff. I, I just don't think a Big 12 team in the new Big 12, once OU and Texas move on, I just don't think a Big 12 team is going to be able to stack enough talent year after year after year to win a national title. I just, I, I just think it's going to be way too difficult. Well, I will say this. like The one hope that they have is the, the possibility, the real possibility, that a 12-team playoff starts to spread the talent out a little bit more. You know, um, I think the 14-team playoff has, I think one of the unintended consequences is the concentration of players going to the schools that have been able to make it every year, like early on, like since this thing started, like they, the teams that were the best early on, whenever the playoffs started really capitalize on moving to that format, right? Where they get all of the attention, all of the talk, the, the media focus is all right there on those teams. I think the 12 team playoff has a chance to spread some of that out, but, it, it it will take a really long time. It's a slow-moving car. I mean, Georgia has, you know, five recruiting classes that are, have all been either number one, number two, or number three. All of those guys are sitting there on campus. Uh, it takes a long time for, for people to start to chip away at that and be able to get your roster anywhere close. I mean, it takes years of high-level, consistent recruiting, and it will take years under a 12-team playoff for – I think some of the talent to spread out on the curve a little bit. Yeah, I just the geographic disadvantage for the teams in the new Big Twelve. I just, man, I don't. Gonna be tough. I, I, I want this the Big Twelve. Be a great I, conference. I think it's going to be the most entertaining, the most fun, and the most competitive conference in all of college football to watch when it goes to those twelve teams. I really do. I, I think it's going to be incredibly entertaining. I just, I don't think one of those teams is going to be able to go through a college football playoff where they got to beat, you know, let's say they they, they got to beat Ohio State in round one, then they got to beat Bama, then they got to beat Georgia. I just, I just don't see it, man. Better be trying to get a bye. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's, you know, and and that honestly though, that goes for. Every conference. I would say everyone but like Ohio State, right? Like, because Ohio State, now we'll see what USC and Oregon end up doing out there. And USC going to the Big Ten, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that affects their recruiting and what their roster makeup looks like. But yeah, I. The SEC has dominated college football, man. And it's, it's very true. It's very possible that we get to a 12-team playoff. You're seeing two, maybe three teams in the Final Four in college football from the SEC each year. Like, it's possible. Yeah. Hopefully, Oklahoma's part of it, man. 
a lot. And if 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 anyone wants to to have any type of like teams have to start winning, I know it's a huge ask and it's a tough ask, but teams are going to have to start beating them. I mean, that's the only way that you change it is teams are going to have to start beating them when they have their opportunity. Ohio State, like I hear everyone talking about how great that Georgia team was, and they were. That Georgia team was fantastic. But Ohio State, they're beat. They're dead to rights. The side, like everyone on the sidelines in tears, they're crying. It's over. And they missed the field goal. Like, if if college football wants to catch up to that conference, you can't miss those field goals. You know? Like, you got to be able to beat them whenever you have your chance. No, I I completely agree. It's my hope that OU's in this mix, baby, moving <laughs> forward. That's, I, I mean, let's be real. That's what we really care about. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, I, I, it, it dawned that that thought of like the Big Twelve not really having a team that is going to be able to truly compete kind of dawned on me. I would say about early second quarter of that football game, where I was like, "Oh man, yeah, this could be this could be really difficult." So we'll see. I'm not trying to be depressing when it comes to the future <laughs> of the Big Twelve. I'm just trying to be realistic. It's realistic. And, I think everyone sees that. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's get to call your shot. We saved it for this portion because we asked you guys how did o- or how did UGA's destruction of TCU make you feel about OU's move to the SEC? And Mark Crenshaw chimed in. He said Georgia has back-to-back national championships because they stack talent class after class. When Coach Venables and the staff are able to do that, the product on the field will take care of itself. We're not where we need to be, and we're not where we're going to be. Hashtag Boomer. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's a pretty fair assessment for Mark. Well said. I think um, I think that this is going to be a big developmental year. Uh, last year was transitional. This is going to be developmental. I think that's going to help them. Obviously, I, you know, we'll see what it turns out to be. But as you look at it right now, a really, really promising recruiting class and they've got some really, really promising recruiting prospects for the next 24 class that's coming through, and specifically on the on the defensive line. So you got to continue to do really well in recruiting. You got to do well in the transfer portal because you know we aren't going to be Georgia, at least not for a long time, to get our roster to where it's comparable to theirs. In the so in the meantime, what do you got to do? You got to supplement with some transfer portal guys at you know some positions of need year in you know year in year out and those those needs will probably change around a little bit but you know that's that's the one place that you can continue to to try and keep pace is by adding more experienced talent on the top end while bringing in some really good young recruiting classes and developing those guys yeah no doubt about it and this last one comes from Ethan Price who says, I never felt good about OU's chances against Georgia or Bama right now, especially this year. But at the end of the day, I feel like going to that conference and going against that physical of competition week after week will serve us better in the long term than Big 12. I don't think anyone would argue that. I I totally agree. And, you know, there is... 
they they have the um everyone expects the SEC to play much better defense, right? And whenever I think everyone has that mentality and it's talked about and the drum is constantly pounded, I think they call the games differently. I think they let them play on the perimeter a little bit more. Um, there's definitely more talent there, but the the pace of play, the style of play alone helps you play better defense, if that makes sense. Now, yeah. obviously, the teams that have really good offense, they put up big numbers and they're going to go fast and they're going to they're going to dial up, you know, big passing plays and running plays. The good offenses there are really good too, but it's it's just a little bit different style that I think will help you play some more solid defense. And kind of to tie that into recruiting, you and I, we've been trying to tell people, "Hey, Big 12 is a it's a good brand of football. They're playing defense in the conference now. It's not just you know, air raid all over the place, everyone throwing it around. We've been trying to fight that reputation for years, right? Mm -hmm. TCU did not help things on Monday night. No. Every SEC coach that's in a recruiting battle with a Big 12 school is going to say, hey, you, you watch that game, right? Like, that's the difference. Yeah. So, I... And it's the same thing. Like, I I like the three three five defense. I like. The, I think that it's it's smart for a lot of people to run it. But you don't see it at the next level, at least not consistently. Like teams may run some concepts off of it, but that's what you're saying. It's like if you run a three three five, if you're a defensive lineman, you you get paid to get to the quarterback. Like that's how you get drafted high. That's how you make money in the NFL by getting to the quarterback. It's hard to get to the quarterback whenever you're lined up head up on guys and there's only three down. It's just, it's not, it's not the scheme that you want to try and get drafted high on the defensive line. And that's going to be used against the big 12 teams. No doubt about it. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first... Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSS AA athletics where they've won over 100 state championships and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention, business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers, they compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. 
I'm an Insureco client and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insureco at Insureco.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Man, they needed a win. They needed one bad. And I think they may have got one. Oklahoma State, uh, Alan Bowman on the uh, transfer portal trail. Yeah, he's still playing. He's coming from Michigan. Um, He has kind of taken a weird route in college football. Looked so promising at Texas Tech. Uh, Had the big injury, the collapsed lung. Was hard for him to come back from that. Almost had Kyler Murray beat. Uh, had he been able to come back in that game the way he was playing. And, you know, just it was weird for him. End up transferring out, going to Michigan. We know their quarterback situation now. So coming to Oklahoma State, I think that think that I mean, considering all that has happened, this has to be a win for Oklahoma State bringing in a guy like that. I think he's got a high ceiling. I I love your optimism. <laughs> I love your optimism and you know, our good friends in Stillwater, right? They've been reeling, man. It's been a, it's been a tough scene for Mike Gunny with the players that they're losing in the portal, but does Alan Bowman really move the needle, man? Like the guy hasn't played in a long time. Like he couldn't get on the field. Remember last year when Michigan was really struggling at quarterback with McNamara with, Hey, McCarthy, like, Alan Bowman didn't sniff the field mm-hmm. for Michigan. So while I, I I appreciate your positivity, <laughs> and I know you're trying to, because there are some Oklahoma State fans that hate listening to this podcast, I I just don't know how excited Oklahoma State fans are about this. Like, the guy hasn't played in forever. It's a name they know, which is good. Right. And when he was playing at his best at Tech, like, he did some really good things, had some big games. But... I mean, if you're talking about losing Spencer Sanders and bringing in Alan Bowman, that is not a net positive, my friend. Not a net positive. Not at all. But. Rangel or Gundy. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. It's a positive on that end. And I. The mojo has gone bad in Oklahoma State right now. So. I. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of. excitement out there in the portal about jump like how are you going to convince a, a quarterback to come in whenever like all, pretty much your entire receiving core is gone you know it, that it's a tough ask all of those things considered like there's a chance that if they get good Bowman like this is going to be some it's not going to be an upgrade on Spencer Sanders but that ain't happening you know that ain't like that's the only way that's going to happen. I think is going to be through the recruiting trail and development, which and, and Oklahoma state has developed well for years, right? The recruiting trail, the portal situation, like uh, Mike Gundy. I don't know how interested he is in any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. And I know um, that, you know, for years he said, no, we go after specific types of guys that want to be in Stillwater. And I get that, but you, you mentioned the wide receiver core and it being tough to say, to get a quarterback to come play there right now via the portal. Do you think Alan Bowman watched Oklahoma State's offensive line at all from this season? 
I'm not sure he knows what he's signing himself up for. Yeah. Those lung he better he better watch those lungs. Double up on the flak jacket. Yeah, he, he's gonna be looking <laughs> thick. <laughs> gonna look like Cam Rising Cam, out there. Exactly. Cam Rising, which by the way, back at Utah, that's huge for Kyle huge, Whittingham. That that's huge. awesome. Yeah. College football's better with Cam Rising. I love I love watching I that dude. I'm the same way. Yeah. So sorry, uh sorry, Oklahoma State, but I tried to give you a win, game squash. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just being realistic, man. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, all right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Oh, you men's hoops. Damn it. Oh, so close. So close. How much are we going to pl- complain about the officiating? We need to be on the same page here because it is what it is in Allen Fieldhouse. We all know that. But. I will say, as I watched the last five minutes, remember, you got a 10-point lead with five minutes to go. I thought the officiating was very clean in the last five minutes. Mm -hmm. I had very, if any, I'm trying to think if I had any complaints. I don't think I did. I just, dude, I think they got, I think they puckered up. Kansas turned up the intensity. It got loud. It got loud. They felt the pressure, right? The old saying makes diamonds or burst pipes. That's what bursting pipes looks like on a basketball floor, unfortunately. It's brutal, man. And what, as soon as they came out of that that timeout and ran a play and got that big dunk, Kansas did, is like, oh, boy, lit the crowd up. I mean, Bill Self knew what he was doing. Like they're trying to dial up something to to generate some some intensity there. Got a big time dunk. That place erupted, and I was like, "I." My son came in. I was trying to explain to him how long it's been since we've beat them in Kansas, and he's like, "But we're winning." I was like, "I know we're winning, son, but this has happened twenty times." All right. We're up, we're close, whatever, and they find a way at home. They find a way or the officials find a way. And last night, I think Kansas found a way. The the officials aided in, you know, in the, you know, especially in the first half, but I, I will say, or early in the second half, but, I mean, Kansas is good. Like, when you have the chance, you got to go score. And that was the thing. Kansas cranked up the defensive intensity and the Sooners didn't handle it well. Mm-mm. Right? You could tell they, they couldn't get to the basket, couldn't get good shots, couldn't hit shots. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's simple. It's make or miss, man. And, and I know a lot of people want to complain. Well, hey, Kansas shot, what, 39 free throws? Oh, you only shot 23. You also have to acknowledge that OU, for the most part, doesn't have a bunch of dynamic athletes that can get to the rim and get and force foul calls. Yeah. And that that's part of it. It's all part of it, but for them to be looking as good as they looked 5 minutes ago and we were all saying the same thing like for the love of god, please hold on. Make this streak in, please. And I feel like oh you basketball fans are battered. I know. 
we we were all like, oh no, oh no, it's happening. It did. Ugh. Yeah, it's like um, the the collected trauma over the years of playing at Fog Allen. Basically, like the entire Sooner fan base willed us to a loss there. By, That's what by, it felt like. <laughs> by knowing what was coming, right? It's like we all willed it to happen. I, I thought Sherfield was great, man. Yeah, and, and this is part of it as well. You want to beat the number two team country in the hardest venue to play in all of college basketball? You got to shoot better than two of 17 from three. That's it. I mean, there's, we can complain about the officials all we want, but the game was there to be won. They defended so well. Like you could just tell Kansas was so uncomfortable for so long, but they let, they let the ghosts of the fog get to them in the last five minutes, man. That thing snowballed quick. My goodness. Tough. Yep. Got loud. The fans knew it. We knew it. Couldn't stop the freight train. 1993 man i was was three oh yeah i was trying to explain to my son how long i was like it's been since 1993 since we won there and we play there every single year yeah it's crazy maybe next year yes yes next year next year positivity ted here we go that's it all right let's get to my winner and loser but first First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcony's Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's Pot Still Bourbon. Its big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, Balcony's Single Malt won the Best in Glass competition back in 2012, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcony's products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, thought thought about going with every team in the Eastern Conference in the NBA except for the Brooklyn Nets because, dude, the Nets have been on an absolute heater. Won nine out of their last 10, won 18 out of their last 20, but KD... Goes down with a sprained MCL. And you, you would assume that will allow some of these teams in the East to make up a little ground. We'll see how long he's out. But he is having an unbelievable season, averaging 36 and five, 
They've been winning all kinds of games. Seems like they've Tyree's actually balling too, isn't he? Yeah. Well, they all the all the dumb shit has been put to the side. Like they're just playing basketball, man. And even Ben Simmons, like the other day, he hit a free throw. It was remarkable. But, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. All right. But it, it'll be interesting to see how long Durant is out. Uh, but yeah, they've been playing good basketball. But the, the other teams in the East have to be like, oh, okay. Let's take a breath. They're the 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 freakish seven foot man that hits every shot is is on the shelf for a little bit. Yeah, better take advantage, win some games, make up some ground. Yeah, also thought about going with our man Shane Beamer, Spencer Rattler coming back for another season. It's big. And it's big. while he was up and down, like if he can play the way that he played down the stretch those last couple of weeks for them, I mean that'll be huge for South Carolina. You know, experience at the quarterback position is great. So, you know, South Carolina, for whatever reason, they lose guys through the portal. Well, it's it's big for Beamer to hold on to his QB. Oh, it's yeah, that's that's everything. Um, it wasn't pretty all season last year with Rattler, but you know he he showed up in some big time games whenever they needed him. What five touchdowns I think, and was at the Tennessee game and um. Yeah, it's 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 been impressive and they need some continuity there. He's he's lost some players, but he's doing good things, man. Doing good things. I've been proud of, of Beamer and that's a fun team to watch. Yeah, no doubt. But my winner of the week it it's like a love fest for Brock Purdy this week, man. That guy is and I get it, he's undefeated as a starter. Five and oh, first rookie quarterback to win his first five starts. Since Roethlisberger in 04. They won the Super Bowl that year. Yes, they did, Ted. Which makes it very interesting. You look at Purdy's stats, 13 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's He's been awesome. And as a result of that awesomeness, I've seen an unbelievable amount of Brock Purdy content this week. Pro Football Focus picked him as the Rookie of the Year. Pro Football Talk, Rookie of the Year. Peter Schrager went on Good Morning Football, said, hey, I know he's only played five games, but guess who would be my rookie of the year? Brock Purdy. There's articles. Um, I saw an article on ESPN. They talked to a bunch of backup quarterbacks that have gone and won Super Bowls because they think Brock Purdy can lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl. There's so much Brock Purdy love this week. It's unbelievable, man. There's There's no doubt he's the winner of the week. Look at Brock Purdy go, Mr. Irrelevant himself. I love it. I love it for him. I love it for um, San Fran. I, it's awesome. But I feel like these people are setting themselves up because we know, and I hate to say this, I'm, I'm proud of what Brock Purdy has done. Fantastic young football player. A good kid. But the reverse spin out behind the head grenade turnover is coming. And it's it's going to come at the worst time, the worst moment, right? Am I the only one that's thinking this? I, I think anyone that watched him play at Iowa State is thinking it. But, dude, I don't know if it's the offense. I don't know what. He looks fantastic. I know. They, you know, I, I, I get so mad at NFL teams. You know, it often happens where they have 
the Seahawks, okay, they did it. Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl in 2004. They had a fantastic team. They took a lot off of the quarterback's plate. You just kind of – you hand it off. You distribute it to some playmakers. You make a handful of big throws on third down. We got the rest. The game plans are basic. They're conservative. Like, we can win this thing as long as the young quarterback doesn't screw things up. And it works great. It worked great with Russell Wilson in in Seattle. Like, we've seen this play out a bunch of times. Then they win. And then they open it up for the quarterback afterwards, right? The next year, it's like, now we – we won a Super Bowl like that. Just wait until we open up the offense. Crash. Happens. It's on repeat over and over and over. Well, we'll see if if old Brock Purdy's able to get it done this year, <laughs> and then we'll see what Shanahan does next season. I don't, is Brock Purdy the guy now in San Fran? I don't know. But you, I'll, I'll tell you this. If he doesn't win a couple of uh, playoff games, it's going to be hard they're Not like to, a nine-point favorite against the Seahawks. And here, what's you know the beauty of it? You can build a roster, right? Because you're not paying your quarterback $50 million a year. I am excited for this weekend. Super wild card weekend is fun. And you look at the matchups, Seahawks 49ers, Chargers at Jacksonville, right? Like the surging Chargers playing against a Jacksonville team that's made the playoffs for the first time in a while. It's... That could be fun. Miami at Buffalo. I don't think that's going to go well. How about this? If a year ago, or let's say six months ago, I would have said, Ted, Brock Purdy and Skylar Thompson are both going to be starting playoff games next season in the National Football League. I think you would have slapped me and be like, dude, you need to go see someone. You're losing it. Yeah, I still am not. I, I'm not totally convinced that even at this point that it's going to happen. Still, <laughs> well, two is ruled out. He's out. Yeah, officially. Uh, so it's going to be Skylar Thompson for the Dolphins in ooh. Buffalo. At least he played at K State, man. He's used to the cold. <laughs> so, I, and it we'll will see, be that. But, it will be that. Yeah, no, I that think Giants Vikings could awesome. be fun. And Geno Smith. So, how many former Big Twelve quarterbacks we got playing in this thing this weekend? Quite a few. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Ravens, Bengals. What the hell's going on with Lamar Jackson? I assume he's going to play. I don't know. The The weirdest game in, in this, and I know it's how the NFL system works, but like Tampa Bay won eight games. And I hate the Cowboys, but the Cowboys won 12. It doesn't make sense that the eight win team is hosting the games. <laughs> like it just doesn't. I know. They have a losing and record. It's, it's just like, it's the same thing. Like, Tampa Bay has a losing record and they're hosting a 12 and five team. And you have teams with winning records that are sitting at home, like, like Detroit. It's, it's strange, but at least, you know, the rules going in, they didn't spring it on you. Well, I guess they did spring some rules on uh, Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, and we'll see what that AFC title game looks like. If it's uh, the chiefs, the chiefs and the bills, that's going to be interesting. All right. My loser of the week thought about going with you, man, because Lincoln Riley announced that Alex Grinch will be retained as USC's defensive coordinator. While that's good for one of your best friends, Brian Odom, like he's keeping his job. Lincoln said, Hey, he doesn't anticipate any staff changes. 
that means another season for you and the emotional situation there with USC football. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good for Odom. Well, I'm happy for him. It is but... good. It is good. I, and here's the thing, you know, and I, I obviously know the the USC hate fest, and I get it. And I understand the, the Grinch hate fest, and I get it. But here's the thing about Alex Grinch. He took over at Oklahoma the year after they had their worst statistical defense in program history. He took over at USC the year after they had their worst statistical defense in program history. It's hard to bounce back from that in just one year. Um, now they've got some, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, he's, he's keeping that job, but I think Lincoln's going to have some, uh, some long conversations about what are we going to, like, what are we going to do to change? Like what's, What's the plan to change? What do we have to do to get better defensively? Yeah, but good luck with that, man. Mm. I'm an I'm an incarnate word guy now. Let's go Cardinals. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, you got Connor McQueen, who's an awesome dude, it's the OC there. Austin Woods Who'd is the offensive quarterback. Didn't someone just transfer into that Calzada, baby? That's Come on. right. Yeah, that's right. Come on, Calzada. Give us give us the version of you against Bama the other year. That's the Calzada we need for the Cardinals. And how about, so you got Austin Woods O-line, Connor McQueen OC. Guess who the old tight ends coach is going to be at Incarnate Word? Who? Ty Darlington. Really? Yeah, baby. So I'm an Incarnate Word guy now, baby. That My FCS squad, I've never had one. Now I got one. Ride or die. Let's go Cardinals. Come how on. How about that? That's cool. That's fun. Where I is need to that? get some gear. Where is Incarnate Word? Is it in San Antonio? Okay, yeah, nice. We should go to their spring game or something. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we should I'd... just like play them in the spring game. We should just have them up as a scrimmage team. That'd be fun. Maybe not for the Incarnate Word players, but <laughs> for us, it'd be fun. But my loser of the week, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Very similar. Like Tuesday night was painful. For the OU uh, OKC Thunder combo fan, uh, which is, hey, over here, that's me. I know the Thunder aren't very good right now, but when you talk about this rebuild, and I know Chet Holmgren is hurt, I get it. And I know a lot of people think Chet's going to fix a lot of the issues. I get that. But when you're trying to rebuild, you need to win the games you're supposed to win. And I know everyone, including, like, I want them to have a good draft pick too. Right, I do, but to lose to a Miami Heat team that doesn't have four of its starters, like that's a bad loss. It's been a long time since I thought, like, hey, that's a bad loss for the Thunder. But Kendrick Williams, you got to hit your free throws, man. Hit a free throw. And I know the Heat went 40, 40 for forty from the line, right? NBA record, of course, <laughs> right? But how about Fallon less? Make Jimmy Butler hit a shot. Don't let him get 23 points from the free throw line. Make him put the ball in the basket. Mm. SGA, he was okay. He wasn't his best. I still had 26 points. I you're, you're down one and you take the super hop step sideways backwards three 
I, I don't know why. He probably doesn't know why either. Now he's hit similar shots as that than that to win games before. So maybe, you know, maybe that's it. But that's a game you got to win. Like you, they shouldn't be losing when they've got SGA and Dort and Giddy and these, like, they shouldn't be losing to teams that are down four starters. You got to win those games, man. Come on. Yep. Yep. Frustrating. Um, yeah, the shot selection thing, it's like, when you hit one of those shots to win a game, you know, the coach is like, Oh my God. Oh no. <laughs> because every time he's going to gonna be trying to, to get that highlight spinning, fading leg kicked up, fall away three pointer. That is like one out of 50 with someone's hand in your face, but that's the nature of the game these days. I, I hear you. I will say, I liked what I saw from Josh Giddy in that game. And I don't know if it's because it was a national televised game. And remember, you got to remember, it was a road game in Miami. Who knows what those guys were doing last night, right? Probably having a good time. That's usually how it works. But everyone wants to talk about the Giddy triple-double and that. But I, I just like the effort he played with. It looked to me like he played harder than he's been playing. Like, there's some moments where... You know, I look at him like, why isn't he more aggressive? And, and he looked a little more from an aggression standpoint, like he did last year against the Heat the other night. And that that that's a good thing. But there's just some head scratching things going on. It's like, hey, Darius Baisley, and I've never been a Baisley guy. Right? I, I really haven't. I've been pretty damn critical of him. But Omar Rui's going to start, and Darius Baisley's Baisley's going to be a DNP. Like I just, like he couldn't have helped you. I, I don't, that's where, I don't know, some of those things that just, I, I, I'm not an NBA coach. I, and I think just from everything I've heard and been told, Degnault is, is earning some respect throughout the league, but I just really pissed off that they lost that game. And it's like yeah. Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler's now on my list of like players I hate watching because he's just, he's just turned into a flopper that acts like a tough guy. And that's, it's like the worst kind of guy. Saja, I'm just, I'm just lashing out, Ted. I'm sorry. Do you think the Baisley thing, like sometimes whenever it, it seems apparent that a guy should be playing and he's not, is that a hint of some trade stuff possibly going on? When's the deadline? Is it into February? Or yeah, it, it could be, right? Yeah, I mean, it could be. Maybe, maybe that that's the thing. But if they've given up on him, then okay, like I understand. But I mean, you're starting. Omarui, who is like my height at center. And you got Baisley, long arm, young dude that's, you know, got some rim protecting ability sitting on the bench the entire game. It just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It is what it is. I just wanted to thunder to beat the Miami Heat when they're not playing four of their starters. Is that too much to ask? No, no. By the way, that was an amazing gambling game. Line was Miami minus two. They won by one. Over-under was 221. 223 points were scored. Wow. Those people are amazing. It essentially told you the score of the game before it happened. <laughs> it's amazing sometimes. <laughs> wow. On that note, episode 282 in the books. 
We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.